Adam Crowley Show. Maybe I decide those teats don't need milking. Oh, it's close. That was close. Maybe I decide those teats don't need milking. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. The udders don't need a squeezing. What is the sports opinion that gets you the most flack? Minds that Bobby Orr, the picture of the goal. That's a good photo. A moment, though. Come on. Come on. Leaves a lot to be desired. Ben says that Lemieux, 91, splitting the D against the North Stars was goalie interference. Splitting the D. Like Mia Khalifa. Yeah! What's my man Vince Common will think? The communist. <laughs> he joins us now fresh off his honeymoon. By the way, Hawaii. I mean, that's a great place to be. I'm sure you had a blast. I don't know if I'd ever want to live there, though. There's all kind of magma and stuff. Uh, no, it's only on the big island, and the uh, the locals didn't really seem to think too much of it. It's kind of like... Uh... When the rivers flood in Pittsburgh, it's, uh, it's something, something that happens there. So Okay. Well, congratulations on the marriage and the honeymoon, and I bet you're chafed in all kinds of different places right now. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, Vince, uh, before we get into kind of the end-of-season burial of these Pittsburgh Penguins, I wanted to get your thoughts on what else is going on around the National Hockey League. But before I get your thoughts on that, do you have any sports opinions that your friends would punch you in the face if they heard you verbalize. Uh, oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, let, let me think about that. And we'll come back to that at the okay, end. Okay, we'll come back to that one at the end, and we'll start with the final four now in the NHL. Uh, rank them, if you will, for me the final teams that remain. Um, boy, I would go uh, Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, um, Vegas, and the Capitals. That's where I have the biggest trouble, is between Vegas and Washington. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think Vegas, obviously, a lot of it has to do with Marc-Andre Fleury. I, I think that he's stolen a lot of games from them. I think he has, like, four shutouts, which is just crazy. Um, I think <clears throat> Winnipeg is the deepest team. I, I think the Capitals are just so happy that they beat the Penguins that they're not even going to realize that they're in a playoff series until about game three of, of their series. Well, it is so hard to come back from that emotional high. I remember the Penguins after they beat the Capitals, or pardon me, yeah, after they beat the Capitals in six games back in 2016, uh, uh, we saw uh, the Penguins lose to Tampa Bay, and they just really never really had it in game one that next series. Right, and I think that's what you're going to see uh, tonight with uh, with Tampa and Washington. I, I think before the Capitals even know they're going to be down two nothing in that series. I think that their defense uh, is going to be really exposed. I think Brooks Orbeck is going to be really exposed in that series. I think Tampa is just a, a really good team from goaltending all the way out. When you look at Winnipeg, to me they're just the deepest team remaining. Well, Tampa's deep too, but to me they have the they just, hmm, I don't know how to say it, but they have, to me, the biggest, they look like the best team. How's that sound? How about that? Yeah, I would, I would like agree they, with they, that. They fit, like, Tampa, to me, feels like they're an all-star team, and, and meanwhile, Winnipeg, to me, just seems like a really damn good team. Yeah, so 
I am I am shocked. I mean, I, I guess I should start believing in Connor Hellebuck because he's gotten them to this point. But, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they didn't even know who was going to be their starting goalie. They thought Steve Mason was going to be their starting goalie. And, you know, Hellebuck has gotten them to this point. Um, I think Tampa has had a little bit of a easier route than, than um, the Capitals and even some of the teams in the West. Um, they had New Jersey who, you know, was happy just to be there. It, granted, it was a tough, you know, physical series. But that was a pretty easy route for them. And Boston was a little bit easier uh, opponent for them than I thought they would be, I think. And I think we talked about this when it first happened. I think Boston actually made themselves worse at the trade deadline by picking up older, yeah. slower guys. And I think that that really came back to bite them in the series against Tampa Bay. Um, so maybe Tampa looks a little bit better than they actually are because of the opponents that they played getting to this point. But we'll see. Um, you know, Winnipeg had a, a tough series with Minnesota. That's kind of their big rival, I guess you could say. And then, obviously, uh, Nashville went to Game 7. But in the end, the better team definitely won that series. Vince Cominal, the communist, joins us here. He, of course, from the point of Pittsburgh, a longtime hockey writer in the city. He follows the league uh, with great detail. Uh, both those series, I think, have the potential to go long, but I don't know if I'd be shocked if either one of those series wrapped up in five games, honestly, Vince. Yeah, it could go either way. I mean, you look at Vegas and, and Winnipeg, <clears throat> I would say Marc-Andre Fleury's a better goaltender, but Winnipeg's the better team. Yeah. And we've, see, we've seen in the playoffs that good goaltenders can steal games for teams. I just I I don't think Vegas is deep enough to to beat Winnipeg in a seven game series, but I do think Mark Andre Fleury will steal one or two games for Vegas. So I I could see that going six seven games. Um, the Tampa Washington series I could see that series being over in five games. I think that like I said, I think beating the Penguins is like the Stanley Cup for the Capitals. They're they're in uncharted waters here. They probably feel like they're playing with house money. I mean, they'll say all the right things, like their goal all along is to win the Cup, but I think they'll be perfectly satisfied with beating the the Penguins and uh, just making it to round three. And I, like I said, I don't think they're going to even realize they're in a series until they're down 2 nothing. Uh Vince, the league probably does not want to see Tampa and Winnipeg just from a market standpoint, but from an entertaining standpoint... That's going to be an, a hell of a series if that was the one that would come of this. And I think that the NHL is set up to have a good series, really, no matter which the teams are. But I think that those two would provide the most interesting hockey to watch. Yeah, I thought that back, back in the, I guess it would have been the mid-2000s, I, th- I thought personally the NHL, it was like a nightmare scenario for them because uh, I think it was three years in a row. One year they had Carolina playing against Edmonton. I think it was the next year they had Calgary playing against Tampa Bay, and then they had Anaheim playing against Ottawa. So they had three small market Canadian teams playing against three Sun Belt teams. Um, and I think uh, the NHL, if you were to ask them, they'd probably prefer that uh, it wasn't Winnipeg and other team, insert other team here, or even Vegas, to be honest. But then again, you got the whole nation of Canada watching if Winnipeg makes it. So I think it's a good story either way. I know a lot of people don't don't think that Vegas 
uh, you know, deserves to be there just because of the expansion process that it went through. And they were able to kind of cherry pick and have a much better chance of success than, than other expansion teams. But I personally do think it's a pretty good story. Oh, my God, and Vince. I, I think it's a great story. In fact, the people who say that, I mean, it's one thing to be a contender whenever you are an expansion team. And I think we all could have said they're not going to be awful when we saw the roster that they were assembling. But nobody could have predicted this. No. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, not not even the players on their uh, th- that team could have predicted this. They were just hoping to maybe contend for like an eighth seed in the playoffs, and you know, maybe get swept in the first round or something. I mean, they, I mean, not, no pun intended, but they're playing. Vegas is playing with house money. Oh, you, know? you dirty dog! I can't yeah. believe you did that just there. Yeah, I did it. I did it. I'm sorry. But it's it's just crazy, and I think it's a great story. I mean, I one of my best friends lives out in Las Vegas, and he says the whole city is just you know enamored with this team and just on board with this team. You, you go into the casinos, and the games on every TV, especially like the off strip, the local casinos, like everybody just is in love with this team. And I, I just think it's a great story, but I also think it's great for Winnipeg. Like those those fans up there are, are oh. awesome. They they really deserve it. I wish that's on my bucket list to, to get to a game in Winnipeg at some point in my life. I mean, it it just looks like a great scene up there. And it, I mean, that's all that town has, you know. I mean, it, the, the, it's just the lifeblood of that town. And I I just think that that's a that's a really cool series. Like a team in the desert versus a team in you know as far north canada as you can get i think that vegas would be a a, it's not a huge market obviously but i think that it would be maybe a a nice draw for the casual fan if it were to say be vegas and washington i think that's probably the preferred route for the nhl at this point right yeah those are the two you know big tv markets for them i would say i I, you know Tampa does well, though. I mean, they, they do well in the TV ratings. But I think if the NHL had their pick, they would probably go Vegas and Washington. But I, I don't think that that's going to happen. No. Uh, we're being joined by Vince Commonwealth, the communist. Uh, he appointed Pittsburgh, a longtime hockey writer here in the market. Uh, how disappointed should Penguins fans be about the way the season ended, or should they not at all based on what happened the last couple of years? Um, I would say the thing to be disappointed about in the way that they lost that series is they really beat themselves more than the Capitals beat them. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Capitals took advantage of every mistake that the Penguins made, but it was the Penguins constantly shooting themselves in the foot that cost them that series. Just the the, the ineffective power play, the, the boneheaded decisions, not just by Chris Letang, but by a lot of other people. You know, Ole Mata made some boneheaded decisions. Even Sidney Crosby made some, you know, ill-advised passes and things like that. And it just seemed like every time the Penguins made a bad decision or did something dumb, the Capitals took advantage of it. It, it. it was more like that than the Capitals actually generating a lot of offense and creating their own chances. It was... You know, the Capitals scoring on the power play. The, uh, the Capitals, uh, I think at one point they scored a shorthanded goal. And, you know, and the Penguins not being able to score on the power play. And in my, in my opinion, I think the Lions were maybe a little uh, – they could have been better. I, I Just Dominic Simone on that first line, I just don't think he was ready for that. I would have much rather seen, uh, you know, Connor Sherry up there because he has that experience of playing on that line, or even something more drastic like maybe putting Broussard up there on a wing with Crosby because wow. I feel like 
I feel like Broussard was wasted in in that series playing, you know, maybe nine minutes a night. That, that That's not what you brought that guy in for. So, uh, you know, a lot of little things. But like I said, I think it was more of what the Penguins didn't do in that series than what the Capitals did, if that makes any sense. It does. I thought Washington played a very good game six. And look, they deserve to win. But a lot of the goals that wound up in the back of the Penguins' net came via the odd man break. And when that happens, there's more times than not a breakdown. And Chris Letang talks about that on Locker Cleanout Day. Uh, Vince, last thing here for you. What's your unpopular sports opinion? Go, go, go. <laughs> so uh, my friends and I have this running joke. I, I am under the theory that back-to-back games are, are in, especially in the NHL, the team that's on the second half of the back-to-back is at such a disadvantage compared to the team that had played the night before or did not play the night before and was just sitting there. And, and uh, my friends always laugh. Every time the Penguins win the second game of a back-to-back, I get a text. Well, there goes your theory. Well, there goes your theory. And they won't let it go. This has been going on for years and years. But I still stick by my theory. So that's not not the most controversial thing in the world, but it's something that a running uh, joke that my friends and I have going, and I'll never live it down because it's been going on for years now, and I dread when the Penguins play a second half of back-to-back and they win it because I get that text after every game. Well, I mean, you played, and, I mean, your legs are jelly almost yeah. the next day. So, I mean, I, I hear you there. I don't think it's all that unpopular, though. I'm calling you out on that one. We're going to have to get you another time, Vince. We need more controversy. We need more hot take, okay? All right. I'll, I'll think about that, and uh, I'll get you on for the next time. My man. Hey, congratulations on the wedding. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. There he goes, Vinny Comp. I was expecting a magma hot take, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Dale Lawley just texted me, and he said, Sidney Crosby's overrated. Okay, go die on that hill, Dale. Dale and I have been talking about that before, though. Uh, We were in Indianapolis, I think, last year. He tried to push that same same theory on me this year in Indianapolis. Goals are important. He hates the secondary assist. And I can get behind the secondary assist thing, but Sidney Crosby's a 200-foot player. Even when he's not good, he's not bad. And if Alexander Ovechkin isn't scoring goals, he's not doing anything to help the team. So I, I don't feel like I need to justify that with a response. Get the hell out of here. Here's one. Dan Marino and uh, Peyton Manning are the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. That's yours? Yep. And Rodgers. All three of them? They share it? The three of them are better than Brady. Combined or just Each of them are better than Brady. Oh. I judge a quarterback based on how well he can play the position, not how well the scheme can make them win or look. Brady can't do what Marino did. Not win Super Bowls? Damn. You're right, he can't do that. Damn. We started off the show with a poignant race conversation with Tom Janot. From ESPN the magazine. And we've got it for you next. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. Hi, Tom Bodette with a message for our military friends on Libo. Next time you're Oscar Mike, grab your Alice and beat feet just a few clicks down the road to Motel 6. Here you can bunk for buku savings. In fact, these low prices are so Sierra Hotel, you'll be more at ease when you're at ease. So even if your ETA is O Dark 30, Motel 6 has always got your, well, your 6. 
Book online at motel6.com. Bodette, out. It's been a very Tom-heavy show today. We've had Tom Bodette make a couple appearances. We've had uh, Tom Janot talk a little Tommy Maddox. My name is also Tom. Are you upset about it? No, I love it. Okay, I was going to say, if you were, you'd be being petty. SPN Pittsburgh. Jim tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. You are showing your disrespect to the NHL when you say or shot was BS or your age. I might have to call you. Well, you can if you feel like it. At 412-922-2874. But he taps the puck in the back of the net. That's it. That's not spectacular. He taps it in. It was historically significant, but he taps it in. And then he falls over. You know what would have been more manly? You know what would have been harder to do? Get pushed and still maintain your balance. It's not like he needed to dive to put the puck in. He didn't. So no. I'm not wrong here. Bobby Orr. More like Bobby no more. We've spent a lot of today talking about Andrew McCutcheon's return. We'll get to that a little bit to end the show. We've got a lot planned. Hottest take of the day. Other crap. And not only the three stars of the show, but the three stars of the week. We also talked about race and Mike Tomlin and the story that Tom Janot wrote for ESPN, the magazine. Tom joins us now on the program. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Tom, why Tomlin and why now? Well, we were um, we were really writing the story for um, you know we we always cover the teams that uh, have a chance of being in the Super Bowl, and so that's why I went down to do the story. It was sort of like a pre-Super Bowl um, for a pre-Super Bowl issue, and then I uh, went down, and as you know, uh, they not only didn't make the Super Bowl, they they um, lost in their first playoff game, and yeah, I had written a draft of a story. Before that, and you know, when the when they lost to the Jags, we had to make a decision of whether there was enough there to, you know, even without the Super Bowl to write about about Coach T. And we did. So I went down, and I, you know, I kept on, you know, trying uh, to hunt for him and to try to get him to talk to me, and he wouldn't. And you know, then that sort of became the story. It was the story, and you did a fabulous job in making that part of it, obviously. Having been with Mike Tomlin off the field to an extent, uh, I feel like everything he says has a purpose, and he might be the most measured man that I've ever met. Uh, It seemed like you got a sense of that, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, one of the most interesting things about Coach T was that he talked to everybody. I mean, I watched him. I I went to... To several games, and I would all I would do was just sit here and watch him, like who he talked to on the sideline, who he talked to in the locker room. I mean, you know, he's a chatty guy, but not to me. So, um, and even you know, and just that that sort of um, that sort of fault line in him was was really kind of the most interesting thing to me. Why don't you think he talked to you? I was told from the very beginning that he wasn't going to talk to me. And as I found out, he's the kind of guy that if he tells you one thing in the beginning, he'll tell you the same thing at the end. There was no change in his mind. 
Uh, Tom Janot joining us, uh, senior writer, ESPN, wrote a piece on Mike Tomlin. I- I've tweeted it out a bunch. He's tweeted it out as well. It is fabulous. Uh, Mike is thought of as a players coach in the mainstream. How right. did you find the players in the room to respond to that? Um, the thing that I found was that the, um, you know, the uh, the front office, you know, uh, Kevin Colbert and Art Rooney did not think of him as a play, as a players coach because they look at that as something of a slight. Um, that that means that he's friends with the players, or it means that he doesn't have control of the players. But that the players looked at it in a completely different way was that, you know, he is a players coach because he's honest with the players, and that was the thing that that just came through in interview after interview. I mean, I interviewed a lot of guys, um, some of them, you know, for, you know, long stretches of time on the phone, some of them on the fly for five minutes in the locker room. But I, I was I was really um, quite impressed uh, by the consistency of their responses to him. Mike has been very private about his personal life. In fact, the only radio interview I remember him doing was with Stan Saverin, who hosts a show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Right, and right. I remember him doing the interview and, and talking about the organization that he's now part of, uh, where they're trying to help young men who don't connect with their fathers. But that's really it. That's that's the only one that I can recall, and I think that, that does speak to the kind of guy he is. Yeah, but I think that, that you know, I think that the, the thing that I tried to do in the story was talk about like where those things come from. I mean, it's, I mean, they are the manifestation of the private life or the life that he tries to keep private. I mean, you know, I have a story in there where the, you know, the, the um, organization, the, the, the the mission, uh, if you will, uh, is called man up. And it was, you know, started by this guy, Ed Glover, who, you know, he says was, you know, um, you know, prayed and, and God told him to ask Mike Tomlin to, you know, to participate. And he went up to Tomlin after speaking engagement and said, will you do this with me? And he was shocked because Tomlin said, I mean, immediately, yes. And, you know, Ed was shocked in, you know, in, in return because he was, you know, basically said, this is going to be a lot of work. Why are you doing this? And he's, you know, Tomlin said, I, uh, I, just, buried, I just buried a father I never knew. I want to get into the racial part of this because I, I find it fascinating. We talk about race on the show sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, sure. we, not all the time for some reasons that I think we all understand. Uh, people get all sure. fired up. Sure. Uh, I'm also probably not the most equipped to, to talk about racial, racial conversations, but uh, sure. there was an excerpt, and I'm just going to read the beginning portion of it here. Uh, Tom Janot joining us, a senior writer from ESPN. Uh, quote, to talk to white players who play for a black coach, and they'll tell you that the color of their coach's skin does not matter. Of course it doesn't matter. Why should it matter? It doesn't matter one bit. Talk to African-American players who play for a black coach, and they will tell you that the color of their coach's skin matters deeply, powerfully, necessarily, and unavoidably. Of course it matters. It has to matter. It better matter. You're damn right it matters, because it matters just for starters to them. Just having known Mike Tomlin... He is in the middle of what is, I think, the biggest societal conversation that we're all having. However, whether or not it's a different conversation that some people are having than others. But I don't necessarily know if he views himself in that regard. What do you think? Nor nor do I. But I I will say that, you know, I went down to the Pro Bowl 
to try to um, talk to him, and it was a, it was an effort that did not succeed. But I kept on talking to the people that he talked to. Every time that I saw him talk to somebody, I would go up to that guy and say, "What did he say?" And one of the guys that I talked to said, "I mean, right away, oh, we just we just talked about we just talked about him being a black coach and how much we need him as a black coach." So that was a conversation that he he was having with you know this player and you know when i talked to tony dungy i mean it's you know it's he is you know he is a black coach he is also a, a head coach in the nfl and there's there's almost there's almost two constituencies for that and the thing that i tried to do in the story was to i mean i he didn't talk to me so it you know i don't know whether it's something he thinks about but i certainly studied him long enough and hard enough to figure out that, um, you know, it has to affect him in some way. And that's why the, the story begins as it does. It's, it begins with two long paragraphs that are just a description of his face. Tom, was there a different perception between white and black players as to whether or not Mike Tomlin was a player's coach? And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting question. Um, the, but I would, say, I would say, I mean, in general... In general, no. Um, I mean, the, the the white player that I talked to more than more than any anybody else was was Alvaro Villanueva. and you know his, you know he had been through something that he was trying to explain to me, which was the which was the the anthem protest and and, and his response to it. But one of the things that that Villanueva kept on, you know, kind of talking about was that how. How Coach T was a, um, a uniter and and not a divider. That he, you know, was not political um, at all. And so I, I I think that you know I I kind of that was one of the things that inspired me to go in the direction that I went in. Tom Janot Jano, pardon me, joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about you wanting to ask Mike Tomlin, uh, or I guess not supposed to ask him, but you wanted him to make a moral argument for professional football. Right. Uh, was it because you were around Mike Tomlin already and everything that happened with Ryan Shazier happened, or was it because you were so interested by Mike Tomlin you thought that his perspective on that issue would be interesting? Well, I just, I mean, to me, I mean, you know, certain people you see in the world who sort of have an aura of, moral gravity sometimes sometimes those men sort of live up to that and sometimes they don't um every um time that i i saw coach tomlin he just seemed to have that have that aura um you know because his words are you know were so considered and they seemed to mean something he seemed to want his words to mean something even when he didn't you know use that many words and um, I was following the team um, when Ryan Shazier went down, and I was following the team, um, you know, when a, um, a riot broke out that was called the Cincinnati Bengals-Pittsburgh game that, that Monday night. So, you know, I wanted to, to get his, his take on, on all that because I, I know that the Ryan Shazier industry, uh, injury, I'm sorry, um, affected him deeply. One of the most powerful quotes in the piece is when you 
said to Kevin Colbert that Mike Tomlin is a mystery, and he said that's the one thing that he's not. Yeah, yeah. If only it were that simple, right? Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. But but it, it did it did um, cement my hunch that the way that the world looks at him or the way that he's looked at from the outside is very different from the way he's looked at from the inside. He, I mean, Colbert called him an open book. And, I mean, I, I still, you know, I, uh, I still haven't started reading that book. You know, that, the open one, I, the closed book I, I did try to read, but the open book I, I, I didn't come across yet in the library. I think that Mike Tomlin is very concerned with perception. He, one time we were out and it was a, a Steelers gathering, probably shouldn't say this, but it was like five years ago. So, hey, yeah, why, why so, not? Yeah, statute of limitations. Yeah. And uh, he had a drink with us. Uh, I had probably had multiple beverages at that point. And he started to walk back into the room. We were in a private room. He started to walk back into the bigger room of the restaurant. And he turned around, walked back, and set the drink down before he went back out. And that, to me, just spoke to exactly who and also part of what he's trying to hide. Uh, I think that was very Mike Tomlin at that moment right there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Ryan Clark said something, which was that, you know, it's it's hard um, and it takes a lot of work um, to, you know, kind of not not be not be yourself or not be who you are all the time. And you know, and I think that you know, to me, to me, that that mask of a face, um, which we can all describe in a lot of ways, anybody who's gone to a to a, a Mike Tomlin press conference, you know, you can't miss the kind of the drama of, of that man's face. To me, that to me, his face shows some of that. Uh, Tom Janot joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, last thing here for you, Tom. Um, what do you think Mike Tomlin would think of your piece? You know, I I um, I called the uh, the PR guy at the Steelers, uh, Bert Bert Loughton, and uh, I you know I sent the piece on, and I said you know. Please, uh, I say, I doubt that um, Mike will uh, read this, and I doubt uh, even more that he'll comment. But if he does, please send it to me. And Bert responded. He said he will read it, but he will not comment. And that's, you know, it's per- perfect Mike Tomlin ending. Yes, it is. Uh, it was a great piece. Uh, it was uh, the joy of uh, my morning a couple of days ago. So uh, I appreciate you writing it. Uh, it was fabulous, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. It was a uh, pleasure to talk about Coach T. Thanks a lot, Tom. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye. Coming up next, it is the hottest take of the day. Other crap. The three stars of the show. And now a new feature put together by Brian LaMartina, who's sitting across from me. It's the three stars. Or, pardon me. Damn it. I screwed that up. All the stars of the week. It's the Crowley Show. Bobby Orr. More like Bobby no more. This has nothing to do with the show, but I think I can kick Grant Paulson's ass. That is something I've been thinking about since the Capitals beat the Penguins. <laughs> I think I can take him. I think he could. I think if we threw our show up against them, I mean, none of us are real good fighters on our own, no. but, but as a team, I think we could take him. You know, I don't want to fight him, though. I'd like to have a beer with that guy. Settle our differences. He'll get his as soon as the Caps are knocked out. Yeah, by Tampa. 
It's time for the hottest take of the day. Now we need to get rid of cheerleaders. It's about time. The Washington Redskins cheerleaders were asking, acting as escorts. The Kansas cheerleaders were getting hazed, and it was inappropriate. It's outdated. We're trying to get away from misogyny in society. If there are going to be cheerleaders and people who want to be cheerleaders, then we should at least pay them a livable wage. If they're going to come in and dance for the NFL's well-being, then why not pay them with some of that NFL money you've got? But I think maybe it's just better we do away with the whole thing. I mean, what is it other than objectifying women? They know what it is. We know what it is. They're going to walk out to the 50-yard line. They're going to shake their butts, and they're not going to be wearing very many clothes. It's why the Steelers stay away from that kind of thing. It's 2018. Uh, We don't need to have half-naked women dancing around a football field. You just go to the strip club for that. And in fact, if you are a strip club and you would like to advertise on the show, you get involved at Twitter.com, at underscore Adam Crowley. That's it. That's all I got for the hottest take. I don't want to go too far on that because people won't listen to the show. They're going to say, oh, there's Nambi Bambi Crowley again sticking up for the ladies. I'm kidding. I will always stick up for the ladies. Put clothes on them. They don't want to hear that, though, either. I'm in hot water with both sides now. No. Let them do what they want. How about that? That's what that's what they'll do. The women can do what they want. Men can do what they want. Everyone can do what they want. And all I have to say is cheerleading, though. Dance queen. We got scoreboards now to tell you to cheer. You don't need half-naked ladies to do it. Come on. No one's looking at them to try to cheer anyhow. In fact, funny story. I was on the field during a West Virginia football game, and Oklahoma was in town. And my buddy had connections, so I was right behind the Oklahoma cheerleaders. And we razzed them the entire game. But they were not wearing any clothes, and it's probably time we put an end to it. I think I made a compelling case. Woo! Other crap. I mean, who am I? Blake Bortles stopped a truck thief from making off with his vehicle outside of a house party in Florida. Bortles threw the guy out, and he was intercepted by police. Woo! Other crap. 2-0 against Steelers this year. Woo! Other crap. Well, 3-0 if you include the season, but 2-0 in the calendar 2018. Woo! Other crap. Good thing it wasn't Kaepernick's truck. The cops would have sat it out. Woo! Other crap. Or kneeled it out. Woo! Other crap. The Predators pulled their goalie after 10 minutes in last night's Game 7. I've always been told not to pull a leaky peck up. Woo! Other crap. Rene talked to reporters after the game and admitted he sucked. Hey, the pen should trade him for Phil Kessel. Woo! Other crap. Winnipeg paid really well. Boy, the Jets really took off. Woo! Other crap. Winnipeg paid very well. Matt Harvey's making his for... for <laughs> Woo! Other crap. Matt Harvey's making his first start tonight with the Reds. He's got a pitch limit. 
How long until the Dodgers make a dent in Harvey's pitch count? Woo! Other crap. The game starts at 10-10. It's going to be a dark night. Woo! Other crap. David Price was scratched from his last start due to playing Fortnite. I guess that's the price you play. Woo! Other crap. It's been 428 days since Pitt basketball won a conference game. Or something close to that. You're just making them up again. You lost count again. I did. On Monday, it was 424. Uh, 429 days since Pitt won a conference game. Three stars of the show. Third star. Tonight's third star of the show, Grandma D. Now, who are we playing, uh, Adam? The Giants. Oh, that's who he goes to the Giants. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jenny asked me, who now, who's catch, what team is catch oh, on? No. I says, I don't know. I don't know the names of the team. It might be the Nationals. Second star. Tonight's second star of the show, Tom Juno. Certain people you see in the world who sort of have an aura of moral gravity. Sometimes, sometimes those men sort of live up to that, and sometimes they don't. Um, every um, time that I, I saw Coach Tomlin, he just seemed to have that have that aura. Um, you know, because his words are, you know, were so considered, and they seem to mean something. He seemed to want his words to mean something. First star. And tonight's first star of the show, John Perano. Your top three NBA players, in order, Stockton, Nash, and Bird. Let's go to John Parado now. John joins us. John, how are you, buddy? Thank you so much for making the time today. I'm doing good, Adam. I got a kick out of your list there. The top three players in NBA history. <laughs> Where was Kurt Rambos? Number four? <laughs> Racism, baby. It's all over this country. Been a fun week. Probably not the line I want to end on. Thanks to Brian. Thanks to Tom. We've had a blast. Coming up next, it's our Stars of the Week. First time. We'll talk to you Monday. Be safe out there. Should I have gone out with the music? I probably should have gone the length of the music here, huh? Hey, what's coming up next? Stars of the Week are coming up next. And then these dogs are getting let out, baby. A lot of the pundits in D.C. tonight, Adam, are talking about uh, tonight's the officiating tonight's game it hasn't even started yet. That's pre-made excuse-making. The Game 7 is the most appetizing thing here. Given the history of the franchises, given the recent history of the teams, seeing what the Penguins could do if they put Washington in that position again, seeing how Washington handles that, knowing that Tom Wilson would be back. I mean, to me, that's what we root for. Mike Sullivan today admitted that they were watching some film. They usually don't do that late in series unless they're trailing. 
And when they do, they usually fix things. And when they fix things, they usually win. And when they win, they win enough to move on. Ron Cook's a moron. Yes. I remember when uh, the Steelers hired Mike Tomlin. He was like, they only did it because he's black and it's called the Rooney Rule. And I'm like, you really think they're going to just hire anybody because of that moron? Generally speaking, we've been blessed with two Stanley Cups in this city back-to-back, five overall. Nobody else can say they've done that in the salary cap era. And people seem to have lost sight of that. I mean... There's folks talking about taking this season to their graves, which is just, I don't know where that headline even came from. It's something that I wouldn't have said about this team. My wife's grandma, she can sew. And that's just because it's a fact. She had the jersey for me a couple of months ago, so she's going to have to sew together my Andrew McFlurry (laughs) jersey. (laughs) Mark Andrew McFlurry. Oh, Crowley's great. Crowley's edgy. Both of those things are true. Crowley's smart. That's true. Crowley has the best guest Will Graves on the show every week. That is also true. But look at his car, man. Because <laughs> that's the kind of car I expect to see me delivering my Fox's pizza when I order it tonight. Hey, Rona, thanks for taking my call. Let me tell you something. We need to blow this whole team up, right? Trade Crosby, trade Malkin, trade Murray, trade Kessel, trade a lot of them. All right? It's time for this team to start winning some cups. I'm sick and tired of waiting on them. She says, what's wrong, Grandma? And I said, I'm mad at the Pirates. And I said, but I'm going to go in and see if they did anything. And she heard me yipping and yelling, and I thought, oh, my God, what happened? Tiger has spent more time in the woods today than he spends inside of a Denny's waitress. He's plus one right now. Hey, Adam, if you were playing at TPC Sawgrass, would you rather shoot six under or get your leg eaten by an alligator? A uh, good period of my life. The summer of woo was just that. It was wonderful. Are you putting me in a position to pull a Phil Kessel or something like that right now? Is that what you're saying? I think you did pull a Phil Kessel, and now we're calling you on it like we're calling Dunlap, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, am I on the air right now? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a different atmosphere at the ballpark because there's actually going to be people, people in the seats. I don't know. The, the ballpark's <laughs> been pretty empty this year for as well as the buyer has been playing. Hey, one of my favorite parts of this course is the island green. I love islands, especially how they're surrounded by water. But I'm also terrified by them because I can't swim. Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is.